Welcome to the Extra Credits Podcast, where we search for meaning in your favorite movies and shows. Hopefully you aren't hate listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's time to play Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. <laughs> Just Let's go. Rachel sent it in the background of that trailer. <laughs> I'm Kelsey. And I'm Trey. And today, Trey and I are talking about the movie bodies 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 i think we'll probably just call it bodies from from this point on bodies cube to save you from the multiple you know bodies but we are talking about the movie today and then after our conversation you can go listen to trey's conversation with the director of the movie helena rain she was amazing stick around after this spoiler filled conversation to hear me and helena talk for a good 40 45 she was nice enough to give us a lot of her time yeah i'm so excited to hear it so if you have not seen Bodies, you can go back and listen to part one of our conversation where we talk about the themes and unpack what the movie meant or what it was trying to say, what, what our thoughts were after our first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any major spoilers in part one. So we don't talk about any like deaths, but we do get specific. So whether you have seen it or not, you'll enjoy that kind of deep dive on themes if you want to go back to part one. But if you haven't seen it, go back to part one, listen to that first, because today we are getting into spoilers. Let's okay? go. Um, and we're going to be talking about our favorite scenes and elements of bodies, what we think deserves extra credit, and kind of what we think the movie's trying to say beyond just being a hilarious, dark comedy thriller. Yeah. And ultimately, we just want everybody to go see the this movie if not once twice multiple times i can't wait to go see it a second third fourth time yeah it's a lot of fun if you don't know the plot already to bodies this is it really quickly young and wealthy friends gather at a remote family mansion for a hurricane party and decide to play the murder mystery game called bodies 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 this satirical dark comedy thriller focuses on friendship identity social media and what it will take to push people to their limits yes and you can go see it on august 12th Yeah, I think you can see it starting Thursday this week. So yeah, 11th, I think. Cool. Yeah, and if, I don't know if people have played like Werewolf or Mafia, but essentially Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a version of one of those games, right? Like someone's a murderer amongst the group and you have to discover throughout the game, like who is the murderer. So Mm -hmm. in this movie, this version, I guess, is like they shut off all the lights on in a hurricane party. um, And then (laughs) the killer taps someone on the back. And then once they discover someone, they have to shout bodies, 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 bodies. I just realized you've never done a, had a hurricane party. Have you? I have not. Yeah. Cause, cause I grew up in Florida. So I, as a kid, I, we were in a lot of hurricane parties and it's basically just a, an excuse for adults to get pretty drunk during hurricanes <laughs> <laughs> and for kids to like do, I guess without technology, do basically nothing. <laughs> but I, I, have you played werewolf or mafia before? No, I played like froggy murderer, which is basically what? this game where you are in a circle and you stick out your tongue and, and, a, and whoever you are sticking your tongue out at, they then like die. And then someone has to guess who the murderer is similar to this. Like everyone votes once they find uh, the person that the killer, you know, tapped on the shoulder. Yeah. They like gather and have to vote on who the killer is. In Froggy Murder, I think it's a very much low, lower stakes. I played it when I was like very young. Okay. I played that winking game that is very similar. Have you heard of that one? I think that's the same thing. Is it? Okay. In my acting class in college, like you, I think one person's the killer. Somebody in the middle has to decide who the killer is and you start winking at people. 
when they're not looking at you to kill those people around the circle. Anyways, I, I think that is like I just mafia to flex or werewolf. Maybe there are like there are other I games that, game. that are more I guess creative like werewolf. I think there are different roles. Maybe yeah. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I I haven't played the winking game. But gotcha. Okay. Yes. Well, highly okay. recommend. Okay, so if you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Go back and listen to some of our other popular pods after this one, like our ranking game where we ranked the best movies of 2022 so far. That was a ton of fun. It was really long, but if you check the description, you can kind of hit maybe the top 10 movies, top 15, or if you want to listen to the whole thing, go ahead. It's a great listen. It's really easy. We talk basically about 15 minutes for every movie. It was a lot of fun. And also those are, you know, our favorite movies of this year. So a lot of just love went into that pod. Yeah. This movie actually would have been in that top 25. I was looking at my list and I think it's around like top 14. So it was Mm. actually pretty high on there. Yeah. You can also go back and listen to is in your top 15 as well, you think? Yeah, it's in my top. I, when I said top two, I don't mean top two movies. I okay. <laughs> top, Just want to Top clarify. 25 also, two, <laughs> T-O-O. And besides bodies in the deep dive we're about to do, we also did deep dives on movies that are thematically rich, like Alex Garland's Men. And we tried to explain that movie the best that we could. Uh, Stranger Things was the one that we took a while on. We did both parts of that season four. Jordan Peele's Nope, we've done... I mean, I think famously at this point, deep dives on because we've had gotten so many new followers. Thank you to all those people who followed and left reviews. We appreciate all of that connection with you all and hoping to build our community here even more. So if it's your first time on the podcast, please follow us. Give us five stars. It'll help us build this community. And if you like what you hear, let us know. Hit us up in the description. All of our letterbox, social media stuff is in there. And just say hi. We appreciate you. I love how you just said famously. We're famous. I, I think the no <laughs> podcast, it, it's it's putting us on the map. <laughs> Let's hope. Um, But yeah, no, hey to everyone. And we appreciate you. Those five stars, super appreciate it. Just because like Trey said, we are trying to build a community here. Okay. okay let's jump into the themes. Themes of bodies. First theme here is social media culture. So let's talk about social media. It's been the best part of my life and the worst part of my life. (laughs) This movie does a good job (laughs) of explaining that. Like right now, I'll put this in the description too. Right now I'm in the process of creating a TikTok platform for, (laughs) I sound like I'm 45 years old, but for the Extra Credits podcast. And I'll put that link in the description so you can see what I've done on there. But my soul has been slowly... I think falling apart <laughs> since that TikTok first TikTok I did two days ago. Sold your soul for TikTok. Um, but I've enjoyed kind of connecting with new people on there. It's actually done pretty well so far. Um, so social media culture is a big part of this movie because mainly it's following millennial Gen Z characters and they are weirdly disconnected in like an overly connected world. So it does a good job. The movie does. And these characters are written really well to kind of, I guess, represent this, I guess, paradox of being overly connected so therefore feeling disconnected from everyone because like it feels like everyone is logged on all the time to social media and the internet and so everyone is like a little bit over everyone like I don't want to see all the time my you know people I'm not really friends with anymore like what they're eating for lunch and yet you still do and so that's like a large part of this movie is that these friends are like coming to see each other for the first time in a long time and that isn't necessarily something they want to do because they're kind of done with those friends they have a history with them they also constantly see them on social and then there's also the second part to this movie that is interesting that is a constant theme of it which is the group chat the group chat is constantly brought up Uh, I think it's Sophie is like not responding to the group chat and letting the group know that she's coming on this trip. Mm-hmm. And so when she brings B, it's like a surprise to the rest of the group, except maybe Alice. She seemed like she might've known or was just at least excited that she came. 
And that really reminded me of like how everybody in the audience who's at a certain age probably belongs to like a long lasting group chat that's basically become like a mini institution in your life. Like if any listener is, you know, is lucky enough to, to be in a group chat that's lasted for a year or longer, you know, there are like certain rules, certain do's right. and don'ts. And when you send a like a GIF or a meme, you better be like very specific about who it's directed at. If you're in a group chat of more than five <laughs> to seven people. People take them personally, yeah. <laughs> right. So this movie does a good job of capturing that. And also the feeling of like, especially the pan, I mean, it's like accidentally a pandemic induced feeling too, because this movie was directed and made during the pandemic, which is incredible, but um, considering how good it is, but it doesn't really obviously have a theme that connects to the pandemic. But I do think that feeling of like, kind of growing apart from your friends but talking a lot during the pandemic in group chats you can feel that in this movie somehow or at least we can like project it on the screen because this group is together in person you can tell they've just been texting for years Mm -hmm. and that kind of tension built throughout the whole movie of you realizing that they actually don't know who each other are outside of what their I guess shallow identity is on the internet and then the third part to social media culture, which is pretty cool in this movie that I think they literally address. I think Alice says it at one point, but the whole theme of, or sub theme of social media culture of the attention economy, like having an online presence seems like a necessity and privileged culture. And everyone is trying to f- see where B is on the internet and they can't find her anywhere. It makes everybody like, I guess, dubious of her. Like, it, what, like, what is she? Like, who is she? Like, where is she from? What is she into? And the reason, and I guess the reason they're so careful to like get to know her so quickly, probably, I guess if we're going to like, there's the one hand it's that they think that she's like, she's not like them because obviously B is coming from maybe a lower socioeconomic background. She talks about, she works in a mall, her mom's having uh, uh, health struggles and she's trying to connect with her a lot and all these other characters can't really relate to her at all but it's also the fact that she's like not online and doesn't have that presence online that makes them i guess a little bit like are you somebody we can trust and i i like that part of this movie that part of this movie where like there are a bunch of people doing tiktok dances and you know one side of the room and then b's watching from the outside like she can't understand why they're kind of being superficial in this way and then they're also like but why aren't you on the internet like kind of like forcing her to feel like she should be on the internet and i thought that was really smart Yeah, there's also, I didn't even think about this until you said that, but the idea of like anxiety around not knowing uh, what someone's into. Like if I am going to have like a social interaction, I usually like look at like someone's friend or something like on Instagram. Like if I I know I'm going to be with them for like a long time, I'm like interested. Okay, like what is this person into? So I know I have like conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, topics or I at least some somehow maybe subconsciously and I like ask about a friend to like understand like, oh, what are you know what are things that I could talk about with them right and so the anxiety of like not knowing in this friend group what they could talk about with this person yeah. makes them uncomfortable and which I think we'll talk about with power dynamics in a second but also something from what you said originally about being disconnected yeah it's interesting how the internet like with aim aim started out with you log in and log out and you know that remember that closing door like yes <laughs> <laughs> when someone uh, or like like when someone logs out and there was that idea of like uh, I guess like longing or maybe that's not the right word, but like, Oh, this person's logged on right now. Like yeah. I can access a, a conversation with someone that I wouldn't be able to right? there was scarcity like in the internet before, that's a good way but to put now it. it's like this oversaturation of like be- feeling so overwhelmed with people's identities right. online that I, again, like you said, like there's almost a disgust that has developed or, um, a, 
It's like low. It's like almost like low quality. Like nobody really likes themselves on the internet anymore. <laughs> this movie really illustrates that really well. Yeah. Oversupply, low quality. I guess the story of our lives in this country. <laughs> Toxic power dynamics is our next theme. This this theme is actually really difficult to squeeze into a movie like this because it's such a. I think a. I don't know. This is a theme about like the spectrum of power that can be sometimes abusive and then trying to show the hierarchy of those power dynamics is like something that's very difficult for young people right now. Like euphoria is trying their best to show that. And that's a show that this director, Helena rain really enjoys a lot and something that you could tell she played with a little bit in terms of the audience's expectations of going into this movie, because from the dope trailer that we all, both of us really loved a lot, I love the getting us excited to go see this movie. It felt like a satire that was going to be like euphoria based, but if anything, it kind of subverts euphoria, which we'll get into. But I do think that the toxic power dynamics that euphoria centers itself around are kind of in this movie through its unhealthy relationships. I think David and Emma are really good examples and David being this sort of like aggro David. dude. He's like, is that Alice that you're doing? Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> David is like basically this aggro dude who has like anger issues and he's struggling with insecurities and he buries them like stereotypically behind like this false ego and drugs and is also though weirdly self-aware of like being a narcissist. Like I think he says at one point, like, what, Oh, what word are you going to use? Like, am I like triggering you? Am I a narcissist? Like, am I a bad guy? Am I going to like get it like aggressive all of a sudden? He like breaks some glass or something and walks away. So I like the idea that all these characters are playing into archetypes, but they're all self-aware of the archetypes of their generation. They're using the, I guess, amplified language in their generation to like even characterize themselves because we've all become a little bit shallow and superficial in our online identities. So I think they capture that really well. And then you have his partner, Emma, who who's kind of like a unfairly, like not really, I think as well characterized as the rest of the cast and their characters, because she kind of is just like a victim to his toxic behavior. And she's the character I think we get ultimately the least context for. And I think, I know there's a joke, a running joke that she's like not a very good actor, but she like acts. And so they think yeah, like her the friends are, are like, bad. I'm just going to say it. The play wasn't that good. Right. That she acted. <laughs> and I don't know. I wish I actually got more from her. Cause I think weirdly, what's the actress's name? Who plays Emma? Is it Chase, Chase Sue wonders? Yeah. Weirdly. I think she, might be the best actor in every scene she was doing. I was like really committed to whatever she was doing. And I felt like it was immersive, her performance. And I think Rachel Sennett will get the most love and she is, you know, is deserving of that. And we'll talk about her later, but she does a great job and I wish we got more of her, but they did do a great job of showing how conflicted she was about David. And then they tried to like, I don't know, her, her friends were kind of saying after the fact, I think after David spoiler dies, and well, it's okay. We already said we're doing yeah, spoilers. Yeah. After he <laughs> dies, warned. he, uh, I guess the, her friends are kind of like, well, yeah, you just like wanted him around for like security of having someone, but you didn't actually like him. And I was like, I don't know if this is like, I guess she's playing the a director and the writers and the team are obviously playing into the fact that like, they're kind of gaslighting her a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she like tells like Alice and I forget who else. I think Sophie, like you, how toxic they are. And I thought that was good. But ultimately, all I'm saying is I wish we would have got more out of her because she kind of is a victim to David's insecurities, which I kind of liked because Pete Davidson plays it so well. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see, uh, which we haven't seen on screen before, the idea of David and, and the character that he's like representing 
uh, or the personality type of like using words that he calls, I think like Twitter language oh, yeah. as like a weapon, mm-hmm. right? Um, that even if uh, whatever Emma's saying is actually like accurate, that he is always gaslighting her, mm-hmm. he gets to play this card of like being fed up with yes. something that is seemingly like stereotypical or um, surface level, that it's a word that has been used to describe uh, like something that's happening. Mm-hmm. And like we see that constantly in, in real life, like people using, oh, you're just using something that everyone else is using and using that as like a weapon to, uh, you know, quote unquote, like uh, destroy someone in an right. argument. <laughs> <laughs> so like even that like kind of hyperbolic idea of like fighting with language and having basically like social media as this constant like touchstone Mm. of of that fight like as your base of evidence is just interesting and something I don't think we've seen on screen before yeah and I I think it's helped by the fact that Pete Davidson seems like he's very self-aware of his character being aware of constructs and dealing with that which is something that we see from people our age ourselves and it's the reality of like learning about the way that society has expected you to act and then learning about constructs that you've kind of been victim to and then trying to deal with the fact that you're playing into those sometimes right. and trying and, to acknowledge that. And then being so nihilistic that you're like accepting that you're an asshole because you've like feel like you've given up, which is also like yeah. a tragic arc. But anyway, or the, that's, male, the male privilege part, which is yeah. what you're referring to, which is like David kind of pick and choose when he gets to be a, yes. a jerk. You know what I mean? Um, okay. So the second part of toxic power dynamics are, is the privilege part of this movie. So it's kind of like the treating others who are different from the circles you socialize in as like quote unquote other, like othering people. And the privilege gap I think is done really well in this, in a situation between this, you know, friend group where you have B who, like I said previously, seems like someone who is coming from a lower socioeconomic background, not just because she recently immigrated to the United States or is working in a mall because we don't figure that out till later in the movie, but also just because she's not a part of this like wealth that this group has and their families. And so they have this like, they think they have like a, almost like a, I don't know, they might just be insecure, but they're acting as if they're better than her throughout the whole the whole first act and second act. And I think they could have even maybe pushed farther with how out of touch the rest of the friend group was from B because it wasn't just like she didn't have an online presence. Like I think they were trying to, the creators are trying to indicate that she is also struggling or is coming from an economically disadvantaged background. And I wish that was even pushed a little bit more. And when talking to Helena, it did seem like she she really wanted more of the family dynamics from B in this movie. And I'm assuming there's probably something left out where we got a little bit more from B, but the movie's in a tight, like 90, 95 minutes, I think. So that's probably why. Yeah. And it's almost like they are like playing with B, right? Like there's this common thing that we see in younger friend groups, especially where there are friends who in order to feel secure, um, because they sense that they they are in the in group and there's someone who's in the out group, right. Mm -hmm. Um, that they're ironically so insecure, right. That they're like poking at this outsider and like playing with someone, uh, and, and kind of either because they need more security or because they are possibly bored and, uh, doing it from a place that is like toxic. Right. And because they feel like they know everything about the friends that they're, they're with, like they've already grown up with. Yeah. The, the board part is unfortunately true and sad. And then the third theme, which I think is probably, well, I guess, actually, we can probably include this in power dynamics, which is the sub theme of insecurities leading to extreme outbursts, which is basically just like a privilege of power that characters like David or others 
use in this movie, which is that everybody is like incredibly insecure, like everyone, because of like being in this personal environment where their online superficial identities can't be hidden. And like David's masculinity issues we've already touched on were Alice with her podcast, <laughs> which we totally get Alice. We understand. It's hard you. to make a podcast. It is very difficult. And when, <laughs> and when people we know actually tell us, Hey, we listen to your podcast. We're like, so like, you know, happy that they do. And we're appreciative, but ultimately cringed because <laughs> we appreciate the new community that we're building. That has nothing to do with people that we actually know in our real life. Cause that tells us we're doing something good, which is happening. But I totally understood Alice. I didn't ask Alice about that but I should have yeah to build a following okay maybe next time um and then Jordan not understanding she's upper middle class which was hilarious uh and also like the racial dynamic and that was really interesting and I think that could have actually been more blood out they could have talked about that more in detail but the whole like Jordan you're upper middle class like that your parents are professors and she's like public university (laughs) yeah I think Alice even said I'm gonna say it yeah yeah it's (laughs) so good and so ultimately like all these characters when they're confronted like with these harsh realities from like toxic masculinity to being in an upper middle class they all have like these outbursts that are super relatable and the movie does a good job of i guess amplifying those outbursts to make them to turn them into like deaths like death scenes yeah i don't want to call them kills because i don't think actually am i losing it or does no one actually kill anyone in this movie Mm, uh well okay i think there are oh i'm sorry b b well, B B kills. Oh, Bill. Yeah, B, B does kill. Was in Greg. I uh did the Bill. Yeah, B, B and kill Bill. <laughs> kill Bill. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Podcast problems. Alice understands. Uh, but wait, what were we just saying? B kills Greg. B, right? B does kill Greg. She's yes. the only person that ends up killing someone. Is that correct? Yes, I think so. Okay, yeah. So I think that is interesting that they kind of lead all these. I guess moments of realizing that you're actually not the person you've been telling everyone you are online actually leads to the most like like gen z millennial amplified hyperbolic thing ever which is a death yeah like and i and i love that uh it's set in a friend group that is wealthy because ultimately like while these are issues that a lot of like younger friend groups might be going through like ultimately the privilege of like these characters uh, growing up wealthy allows them to have this become and maybe like envelop their whole identity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like the insecurities leading to like the most hyperbolic thing of death is so just like funny and like the dark comedy way, like these group, th- this group, right. Is uh, like experiencing so much outside pressure. Right. And the sense of danger is increasing. And so like, they're continuously like airing grievances instead of like, actually maybe like figuring out what to do, which is so relatable to what people do under pressure. Right. Like you're silencing me. (laughs) And like when, when you get, if you've ever been in a toxic fight, right. With like a family member or a friend there, I think everyone has been in the moment where it's like, okay, we're being honest. Right. Like, and like Jordan exposing Sophie, Uh, right cheating on B with her and Mm -hmm. then Sophie exposing Jordan that she hate listens to Alice's podcast and thinks she's vapid right like and I think it's just great because it's it's something that makes the movie even more I guess relatable than just a Gen Z movie right like people are always and often not always sorry for the absolute but often participating in unhealthy and like unhelpful behaviors under stress right and especially like in communication and I love how it plays with this like which is why I'm excited to go go see it again it plays with this idea 
of this like strange line between your friends, like actually triggering you or you trigger triggering yourself through the reflection of your friends on you. And like, interesting because at times, right. There are, there are times that your friends are actually like totally toxic, mm-hmm. right? Especially like growing up and like then self-destructive you're, moments and then yeah. it somehow falls on you. And especially with this friend group, if, if you, anyone has friends who you've grown up with for a very long time, a lot of times like, you know, experiences can be used in a way against you. And a lot of people who haven't, you know, worked their own stuff out, um, or are continuing to could sometimes because people are feeling just annoyed with each other, or there's a sense of like disgust in your past, it gets taken out on each other, which can right. definitely be a friend versus friend, like toxic situation or like David and Emma's case. Um, but there's also though times where people are projecting onto their friends because they're feeling insecure and then they feel triggered like from that reflection of themselves. And I thought that was a really interesting like way to show that on screen with the heightened idea of death, right? Like, yes. um, they're all their own killers. Yeah. That's kind of the through line of the whole movie they're all self-destructive in that way, but they're all making it worse too. Yeah. Right. Like they're adding to the pile, they're feeding to it. Yeah. Each other. Yeah. Okay. Those are the first two themes. The third one, the last one, which I think is Helena's core thesis of the movie, which is that she wanted to tackle when reading the script. She felt that she wanted to touch on like the fragility of civilization. I'm going to call it like the fragility of constructs because she often talks about, and she's said this multiple times now in different interviews uh, that she wanted to show or kind of blur the line between the civilized and the uncivilized and maybe kind of get rid of the binary of, of, uh, good and bad and trying to kind of like find this gray area that we're all kind of sitting in when it comes to our own personal ethics and how easily we can get pushed to the edge. And so she really wanted to talk about how, I guess that's it, how easily that we're pushed to the limits. The killer is in all of us in certain points. And Rain ultimately says that she wants to show how constructs bind us and like are ultimately superficial. And the film uses that like fallacy of constructs as an identity, as like a building tension throughout the movie, because all these characters are acting in these archetypes that they are self-aware of. And that kind of realization that they don't really have in a true, honest, genuine identity builds tension within themselves. And like how Kelsey is saying, kind of falls on others. And it kind of leads to this ending conclusion of the movie where you have a mansion of, you know, social media culture, toxic users who are all dead. And that, and that's, it, that's a great resolution to the kind of theme of the fragility of these constructs that we're all playing in. Right. Yeah. Like there, the characters all have this kind of performative pieces of their identity that when they feel exposed, uh, instead of doing something like healthy, right. Mm-hmm. Which often you need help to do like throughout your life, but instead like double down and then make matters worse. Yes. Okay, quick rundown of the three major themes of this movie that we found. Maybe listeners, if you found your own theme that you want to shout out, let us know in a review or message us online. First major theme, social media culture and the toxicity of it. Also, toxic power dynamics. I guess you could also call that like this movie tackles the spectrum of power or spectrum of abuse, and it does a really good job of that. And then third, we have the fragility of constructs. So those are three really complex themes that I think, you know, people might be thinking we're overthinking this, but that's kind of the whole goal of the extra credits podcast is to find (laughs) meaning in your favorite movies and shows. And that's like what we do. That's like our shtick. So that is what we found in this movie. I don't think we're reading too much into it, especially after the conversation with Alina that again, I recommend everybody stays for and listens to. Okay. Let's get to the extra credits of bodies, bodies, bodies. This is the part where 
We are going to talk about our favorite parts of the movies that deserve more credit from best scenes, performances, cinematography, directing, anything that we want to give extra credit to. Kelsey, you want to start? I'm ready. Let's I'm do so it. excited. I've been so excited when I was like prepping this to think about like what were my favorite scenes of the movie that really kind of touched on what uh, the writing was, was what the movie was trying to say. Okay. You're going to stick to scenes then. Yes. Okay. For me. Okay. So my favorite scene, the home gym scene yes. with Greg deserves extra credit. We have nice. like the spiraling effect of social media projecting lack of like self-reflection. Um, so let me go ahead and set this up because I missed a lot of a this great beginning scene. too. This is when Trey had, yeah, had to run to the, to the restroom real quick. Um, but okay. So the group, right, just found out that Pete Davidson, David, is dead. Okay, mm -hmm. he like hits against the window, which felt very Scream. I know that people are saying this is not Scream, but it did feel like when Drew Barrymore turns on the lights, right? Yes. Outside. And the group suspects Alice's boyfriend, Greg, as the killer, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Alice, played by Rachel Sennett, like we said, amazing. And Lee Pace, playing her 40-year-old boyfriend. Also iconic. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're all in the kitchen, right? And they're like grilling Alice with questions because they don't know where he is in the house uh, because he said he went to bed. And they're like, how long have you known him? What's his job? What's his middle name? Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. You don't get to the middle name <laughs> until like way long into the relationship. And we find out that maybe it's been like a couple weeks, I think she said. But ultimately she knows he's a Libra moon, okay? <laughs> and, he, and that means that he's probably not a murderer. Um, but it's so funny because they also met on Tinder yeah. And before I get to the the home gym, which is hilarious um, and and tough, but they met on Tinder, right? And he's like an outsider to the group, like we said before, like B, right? Mm -hmm. He's not in on the group chat. You have to earn your way into a group chat, right? Um, and also he doesn't know like the ca complicated backstories and grudges and sore spots of this like ecosystem of a group chat, like you were saying, right. but also generationally, right? Greg is like an outsider um, to a lot of the norms of social media. So he's like constantly asking questions about like what's happening. What's this body's 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 And game. genuinely too. Yeah. And Helena, I think is 46 or in her 40s. And she said how like she, much like other people her age or in their 30s or even 50s, are very aware of what social media, I guess social media culture is and how they participate in it. And like right. obviously most people have a smartphone between the like, uh, you know, I don't even know when kids have them anymore, like seven years old. Yeah, but it's not and, just Gen Z on screens, right? Right. So I think he does it. They do a really good job of writing him as like authentically being interested in like whatever they're doing and just like asking nice questions. Yeah. And I, but I also wanted to say not only about Greg, um, but the, the idea of them meeting on Tinder was really funny in a horror thriller sense yeah. and like comedic sense, because I had not thought about online dating and kind of the history of like even filmography of online dating until this movie. Like I, I thought the conversation right around like meeting people through dating apps with Greg was hilarious because we were at the very beginning of like online or social media dating apps, right? Like yes. in the early 2000s, uh, we had like online dating sites. So if you're like as old as us or older, you'll remember like the eHarmony or Match.com commercials, right? You're making it sound like we're like 38 years I old. I mean, we're in our late tw like 20s, but also I, I think that it that that's not something that Gen Z, like true Gen Z people oh, would know. Oh, like they don't right? know Like e millennials, yeah, remember. That's true. We right. saw commercials. I just want to make it clear. I was not on eHarmony at 10 years old. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I just am saying like the commercials or even like the idea. I, I don't think you've seen Because I Said So, but like the 2000, uh, 2000s movies, 
Yeah. Right. This one was with Man- and Mandy Moore, Diane Keaton, and our beloved Harvey Specter from Suits. Oh Gabriel my God. Mocked, right. Um, but anyway, I think, I don't know if Hitch didn't have an online dating. He was just a, a dating coach. Yeah. Right. He was for a leg. That job doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the physical dating. Coach. Yeah. But, but anyway, I just thought it was funny because I, I think like with Tinder and hinge, I had to look up like, when did, when did they officially like, you know, come out as apps and it was 2012 yeah was, and that's yeah. just wild like it reminded me of conversations that now have obviously evolved in 2022 but like I would have with my best friends when these dating apps like came out or were kind of newer like when we were in college and my friend especially if she was like going to meet an older guy right, right. I was like you cannot just go to his apartment the first time you're meeting him like are you looking to get like killed, killed you know yeah. and so I just felt like this small scene in the kitchen was so like smartly flirting with this like funny sense of danger that at times can be hyperbolic but also obviously and like there are very real concerns of danger especially for women dating but it was just so much a part of the conversation when dating apps were like brand new he was she was like he doesn't really have an online presence yeah like you're right that does feel like what it did then yeah yeah and then used to be like random facebook friend requests when i was like 15 from people who just like have posters on their walls yeah with like six friends i'd be like oh i got another friend of my friend (laughs) another friend and anyway i just thought it was so funny because this movie was making me think of things that we haven't seen on screen before where now there's a whole new like cultural evolution of like what are red flags in like pictures on you know dating apps like oh this person had named their dogs something like uh insensitive or like they i I don't know like they have like too many pictures with women or i don't know whatever it is luckily i mean trey and i haven't had to use um dating apps because we uh have been dating for so long we just got lucky um but yeah no religious reasons here just it's been a decade out of luck (laughs) yeah so um but hey i i i'm so interested always when my friends are talking about it because it's just so funny how culturally like there's so many different red flags that have developed just on this like site and it's in its own you know like ecosystem yeah Um, well it seems like amazingly regulated now that is funny that you're touching on that because back in the like there was a lot of propaganda on it like i think on it like probably a lot of it was genuine like but i remember it being like if yeah like what you're saying like you go on the state you might not come back yeah, there was that right idea of danger the first the first time which it came out as, fresh out as an talk, app. Which Fresh, that movie Fresh that came out recently too, talks on too. Oh, gotta see Fresh. Yeah. Okay, the second thing that I thought was hilarious though was that he's a Libra moon, okay? Obviously, everything everyone That's thought the, that was funny. Is that the sign? Yeah, but yeah. the the fun, even deeper layer of dark comedy in that is that like people are mocking Gen Z in this movie and Rain, the director and, and uh, writers with her have talked about how they are like not trying to mock Gen Z by making this, right? Like they're obviously doing a satire, but they're not being ill-intentioned. Yeah, mocking Gen Z is a real surface level reading of the movie. Yeah, and so why I think this is like funny is because people who are mocking horoscope culture also like participate in organized religion or like, and there's also this like really ironic <laughs> idea of this like eye rolling, like, Oh, these insufferable, like Gen Z millennials uh, talking about like <laughs> gaslighting and TikTok and blah, blah, blah. But like are ultimately, I feel like, uh, you know, not reflective about maybe their generation or like their right. qualities. So it's just so funny because like, uh, I think rain talked about this, this too, like in interviews I've seen, but she talked about how Gen Z also has language, even though it can seem superficial at times, uh, to access like 
concepts, right? Mm -hmm. Like panic attacks, as she said before, or like accessing emotions and having like a common ground to talk about things. Yeah. Um, so even though I don't participate in, you know, horoscope culture, I just thought it was so funny because there's this idea of, uh, like catching people and laughing at something and it's like, but they aren't able to like reflect that back on themselves. And I just thought that was really funny. Um, okay. But sorry, long tangent to the home gym. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so this is where Trey uh, yeah, went to the restroom. I seriously so, don't know what happens it, at the so beginning funny. of it. I B, saw the death. This is after right Pete Davidson dies. B, yeah. Sophie, Emma, Jordan, and Alice are looking down on Greg, right? Sprawled out with a light mask on. And Trey uh, a light mask. <laughs> Trey comes back at this point. Um, and they're like, What did what what's going on? Like, what is he doing? And Alice is like, he has seasonal depression. It's so funny. Um, but anyway, so they get down to the gym and they start questioning him about his go bag. I think this is what you missed. It had like an LL bean. It looked like a sleeping bag okay. with like a knife in it, a map with the house circled on it in red, like all these survival like tools. Right. Okay. And I, even though I was like, they're not going to reveal the killer this early. I was still suspicious. I was like, they got me like, right. maybe it is Greg. And so he thinks at first when, when he wakes up that they're joking, they're still playing the game. Right. So he does this like howling, which is maybe like a nod to the game werewolf, but he doesn't really understand that they're in serious mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, until he grabs a knife thinking that he actually is going to need to protect himself. Did you right? see the way he blocked the knife? Like no. someone tries to stab him at one point and he blocks the oh, knife. Oh, wow. But he blocks it. That. But it was important. I think it was an important detail because he blocks it like he is a vet. Like he blocks it like he's a veteran because he okay. blocks it like he has, like he has training. skills. Yeah. Yeah. I would and not I know how to block a knife. that was such a specific detail because <laughs> he blocks it with the back of his hand quickly at like an angle oh. at the handle. And I was like, wow, that seemed like somebody taught him that. <laughs> I was like, he really is a veteran. <laughs> and then tax money going to good use. Yeah. Um, so that's also the best part, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But then, right, um, Bakalova as B grabs the kettlebell weight and smashes his head in. Tough. Really tough to watch yeah. twice. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Too. And and so anyway, though, you you brought up the best part is that the group then after B like kills him is trying to rationalize like the wild thing that just happened. Right. right. And sort of like absolve themselves. Like they go like, uh, you know, it's, it is probably him though. Right. Like he is probably the killer. Like he's a vet, like he's the most likely suspect. And then, <laughs> uh, Alice is like, you mean a vet? He's a veterinarian's assistant. <laughs> and they're like, why did you call him GI Joe? And he's like, I mean, she's like, I mean, look at him. That, de- that delivery <laughs> was maybe the best of the movie. It was really great. It was so funny. And, and the reason I picked this scene as deserving extra credit is that like similar to social media, right? Or any form of like instant communication, there's this idea of like creating a narrative. So whether you're relying on like, you know, information that is you don't have a lot and you're jumping to conclusions Mm -hmm. like they did like thinking he's a vet right um he's blocking those knives um or like if you're in an email and you're you're thinking oh this person is thinking xyz about me and you're just kind of like going really quickly and creating a narrative um and then communicating so quickly so I i just loved that and in an interview after our screening um the cast was talking about just the idea of like social media and information. And I said this in our part one pod, but um, Amanda Stenberg, uh, who played Sophie, 
I'm paraphrasing, but she kind of talked about like the quickness that we engage with information and yes. how that dictates our decisions, right? Like our rash and impulsive decisions. Um, and then also can also result in shallow relationships, which we'll get to in a second. But I just thought it was a hilarious way to touch on like how we often quickly interact with information and like the complicated waters of like sifting through a yeah. lot of information online. Like you can imagine that Alice said he's a vet, right. in like the group text mm -hmm. and everyone just like went off of that. Right. <laughs> and it, it goes on this idea of like, who can I trust? Like do, if, if I follow the social media account, like now I have to go look at where the source is. Right. And even if there is a source, I need to look at the study. And then it also goes off this idea of like virtue signaling with like little information, not researching like issues or like talking about complicated solutions to issues you know and like even then though like there's this landmine of uh like when I teach my kids about media literacy we're teachers by the way um I teach a class on like argument and like even if you understand how to find sources you also have to look for like common fallacies and arguments right like there are even communication traps that exist both on and offline in communication and I just thought that was such a great way to package that in a way that it doesn't feel like they're like someone is being condescending or arguing that to you right yeah. it's just so in the moment like this visceral feeling of jumping to conclusions that was hilarious. Yeah, really, really well done. That was really well said. I like what you said about the group creating a narrative because I think that that is like, I mean, obviously what you're saying about like finding online information becomes a fallacy of its own because there's so much of it and people are using arguments that aren't actually logical or rational. But the idea that the group is constantly creating a narrative of different stories throughout the movie is really fascinating because what becomes more interesting to them than the deaths of their friends are the narrative of the deaths of their friends, like the story that they can make out of it. Not that they're trying to necessarily exploit it, but it's almost become a part of like their nurtured socialized identity that they need to figure out a three act <laughs> like <laughs> sequence to this event that's happening to them, this moment where all their friends are dying. And like Rachel Senate's character, Alice does this at one point where I think she's literally like running through what happened that night. And she's like explaining it as if it is like some kind of like, play or something yeah and I, and I think that is really interesting because again like at one hand you could criticize gen z for that you could criticize young millennials like us for that like for doing that through social media culture and creating narratives but on the other like side of that which i do think is obvious in this movie too like gen z millennials social media users and like youtube users tiktok users whatever they're going to be like very creative people and so they're going to have very creative language to describe what happens in their life which is obviously a great thing it can become bad because you can never actually live life and talk as if you have but obviously having language to explain how you're feeling about something is historically speaking more important than not and so helena rain does a great job like explaining that in this movie, I think, without having to literally say that, which she talks about a little bit in our interview too. So I thought that was really cool what you added about the narrative part because that is such a big part of this movie. Yeah, and I love that Rachel Sennett runs, I forgot that she ran through like, no, and then this happened and then this happened yeah. and then this happened, like trying to track back evidence. And it reminds me of the end of Clue, right? Like, Yeah, <laughs> yes, yep. And that murder mystery. Um, and then also Rachel Sennett kind of functions as this character that every once someone- She's like a live Instagram. Yeah, As like once someone introduces a new piece of evidence, she's like, oh, wait, that did happen. Maybe that's right, right? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, it's a very conscious choice that her character is doing that. And I mean, this is all not to say that people like should not go like look for for actual information sources, like read into arguments. It's right. just touching on a very like common 
uh, thing that we have probably all fallen into. And if you're not like aware of it can lead to super destructive, toxic moments with not only you, but in just in society at large, if like, this is the, right. the pattern that we're playing in. So, um, loved, loved that scene. Loved the home gym. Um, <laughs> so home gym gets extra credit. <laughs> home gym. My second extra credit, we each have two, uh, is the end. This one's a, a little bit shorter. I won't go on my, my tangent again, but the social media as a gun in nice. the end scene. Yeah. So B right has successfully hid from Sophie until morning, realizing that she can't trust her like throughout this night. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Sophie runs up behind her, which is, is scary. It was in the trailer, but in this like kind of like suffocating, like scary hug, um, which like, I think at this point, I, I don't think Sophie's the killer because I am suspecting like that people died by accident, but not Pete. So I'm like, who is it? Adam? Is it the friend? No, right? we, we knew like halfway through the movie. I thought that everyone is, is their own killed. killer. Yeah. You, but did you think that, how did you think that Pete died then? I I honestly did like thought Max killed Pete and I thought it was gonna be the only death. Well, that, okay, so that's what what I mean though. But I think when I turn, but when I turned to you and I said I think when she gave her the drugs, she fell down the stairs. I'm talking about uh, Chase. Sophie. Car- no, Chase. Oh, so character. yeah, and Emma's Emma. death. Yeah. Yeah. When she fell down the stairs, I was like, wait, okay, everyone's the killer in this movie. Everyone died, and I was like, okay, did Pete like take too many drugs? I didn't think he accidentally like killed himself. And so then I was like, okay, maybe Max killed him. That's the only death that makes sense. Okay. So, but that's what I'm talking about because I wasn't, I I think I didn't suspect Sophie, right. As an actual killer, but there was something in the back of my mind. I was like, well, who killed Pete? Like, is she still a threat? Like, you're right. That is the big one. And so, so I was still had some uneasiness, right? So that's why it did feel scary when she came up to hug her, even though I like knew, right. It was, it was kind of like the, the script like playing on my anxieties of right. like not trusting right and um, Amanda Stenberg does a great job of playing somebody a little bit unhinged like yeah she did an amazing job of that yeah and and then like B right I was like wait can I trust B right like so like this idea of kind of like spiraling so right we're uneasy still and and B wants to do like a final test of trust so she asks to see Sophie's phone uh, because we know that Sophie slept with Jordan before they went to the hurricane party. And Sophie says no. And so then they're by the pool wrestling for the phone, which is right next to the loaded gun. Nice. Yeah. And that I, I really love that like juxtaposition because it suggests, right. That like our words in our day-to-day lives can very much be a weapon. Yeah. Like our interactions can cut really deep. And of course, then after they, they like finish wrestling for the phone and, and see Adam, right. That's his name. They see David's TikTok, realizing that they all created this whole kind of game of clue and Wait, like Adam? pointing fingers is Ad- Adam's the, the friend that That's they Max. did mushrooms with the, Oh, I called him Adam like a minute ago too. Yeah, okay. Uh, so Max, Max. <laughs> played by Car- Connor O'Malley. He looks like an Adam. What can I say? He does. And so they're anyway, they were right. Creating this whole game of clue and like pointing fingers and destruction for themselves because ultimately they couldn't accurately reflect on themselves, right? Their toxic behavior, like we've been talking about, which mm-hmm. by the way is not specific to Gen Z. And Helena I, makes that clear in the interview yeah, too. Which yeah. I think is so interesting that a lot of people are like, this is a Gen Z issue. I think it's a little bit more timeless in this respect that, and that's why I think it deserves more credit um, because it's not Gen Z 
like participating on the internet, right. Or in toxic behavior in general, right. Like feeling the idea of feeling exposed and then doubling down is not just a Gen Z specific issue, which I think that people might be reading this way too surface level. Like we have said about, this is a Gen Z mock project. Right. And, and Gen Z's whole thing is like literally not posting on social media as much anymore. Yeah. Like uh, young Gen Z right now. Actually, I don't know what the younger generation, because we teach high schoolers and I think there is a new generation. I forget what their name is. But like the new thing is to basically have zero posts and like just have followers and following. Yeah. And like create a brand online. Like having, I also. So there's like another gen. I'm not I'm sure not about sure like Finstas or whatever, but like our, our, our oh, We're students. not getting into the science yeah. of Finstas on this Anyway, podcast. there's a whole, like, that's why I think this movie is specifically focusing on, I guess, like mid twenties. Right. So it's like a Gen Z sort of millennial. Right. Uh, versus like a even younger generation. Anything else gets messier. Yeah. Cause th- I think that that younger generation is kind of like self hate about social media like yeah. they really understand well because it's cringy right and yeah. like i think ultimately though the idea is that instead of doubling down or being exposed if there is a cautionary tale in this like murder mystery game is to reflect instead um mm-hmm. and i i thought that was awesome because none of this felt like it was like hitting you over the head with a lesson it right. was just like a really immersive experience okay so you're so you're that's a really good one your first ex- scene that deserved extra credit was the gym Home gym. Home gym. Home gym, To be Greg. specific. And then the second one is more of... It's a scene, but also like a theme of the movie, which is like the, the juxtaposition between wep, the literal weapon and social media as a weapon. Yes. Okay. Interesting. I like that. I like both of those a lot. Um, I'm excited to hear yours. Mine are, I guess, kind of similar too in terms of how they're both se- sequences and themes of the movie. My first is going to be the introduction of the movie with oh, okay. B and Sophie. The first like five, seven minutes... The opening sounds of like dropping from trailers to seeing the production companies of the film pop up and then you hear people making out, like two people making out in a horror movie is not something that is like that obscure. It's actually, <laughs> I feel like something like like making out in a horror movie is pretty normal. Right. But seeing like two like queer women making out on screen was a first for a lot of people, like including myself. I usually, we usually don't see people making out in the beginning of a movie like that, but especially to authentically queer people. And so the representation is the first thing that comes to mind that I thought was really important that that they do so well through the movie. I was worried in the first five seconds. Like I was like, is this going to, do this like in a genuine way. Right. Because we've seen so many movies struggle with that. Yeah. Movies basically try to capitalize and not make people like people, but like capitalize on identity and be like, look, we are, we have representation. Yeah. They try to commodify diversity. And I think this movie does such a good job of representing truly and genuinely an underrepresented identity. So that was really cool to see. And that was like, and they, and B and Sophie are like importantly flawed, especially Sophie. They're like very flawed characters. And I think that's where movies usually mess up diversity because representation is best in films. I personally think as the, as the person who is not diverse as the white cis heterosexual male in like suburbia, like, but for my opinion and from what I observe, this movie does a great job of humanizing people from diverse backgrounds who are usually marginalized by a country that might not respect them in contemporary times or definitely not historically. And 
those people are usually stereotyped in art and this movie does a great job of giving them like literal flaws and so audiences get to build this deserved empathy for the characters and that deserved relationship audiences can have with the characters on screen that are also coming from diverse backgrounds is incredibly important for the movie to feel like seamless in what it's trying to say and so i think b and sophie like as characters and as a relationship in the first five, seven minutes, I think they do such a good job of kind of letting audiences feel comfortable with these characters and making them seem like genuinely a part of this movie without trying to like commodify their identities. So that was really great. That was the first thing. And the second part of that scene that I really like is just frankly, like the, I guess the, the technical side of it, which is like this drive to the mansion is just an awesome opening. It's one of the best of the year, I think, because there is this, fast-paced uneasy editing like meshed with this incredibly loud sound mixing like even them making out was incredibly loud or like shutting a door was super loud it was really jarring yeah the sound in this movie is just like very abrasive which i kind of loved it was a lot at first but i loved throughout like when pete davidson's character david hits greg in the face that punch was so visceral (laughs) i was like whoa that was incredibly loud and also at the beginning of this movie, the cuts from the mountainside to the inside of the car was really cool. Oh yeah, the texting? Well, the conversation, like they were talking and texting at the same time mm-hmm. while also being in this beautiful environment. And I love how they're like showing this beautiful environment for five seconds with loud like music being played. And then they cut to the car with them texting and talking, like not even really taking, a, like having an awareness of their surroundings. Like they're not really aware of each other and what they're really saying. And they're also on their phones and they're also not aware of the beautiful landscape around them so i really liked that and i also love when sophie tells b that what you said i think you might have said it earlier maybe not but she loves her sophie says i love you to b and then b doesn't reply back and they immediately cut to them texting oh yeah which is really smart in the intro scene that whole scene in its totality sets up the whole tone of the film. So you understand the environment that you're in. The atmosphere is clear. And then it also includes the essential questions of the movie, which is why does B feel cautious to tell Sophie she loves her? Because they seem like they're in a romantic relationship. You don't know how long they've been uh, with each other. So that might be an obvious reason. But you're a little cautious, I think, with Sophie because B is so, like, I think, careful. And she seems like she really, she seems like you have more empathy for her because she says she's texting her mom, which raises the second essential question, which is what is her relationship and what is the dynamic between her and her mother, which is never really completely answered or at least thoroughly. And I do think that's a part of the movie that's missing a little bit, but I do think that's really important because it kind of sets up again, your relationship to B who is kind of the lead protagonist of this movie. Like if B doesn't work as a character, I think the movie falls apart and definitely if Sophie and B don't work as this kind of complex relationship and the movie 100% doesn't work. So I think you get both the questions in the first five, seven minutes that rain is working with the essential questions of the movie. And you have like, the audience is picking up on like how B is going to react to meeting this group of privileged friends, which is not so great. And you're going to like kind of buy into her as a, as a lead, which I do. Yeah. And I think that was interesting because in the beginning of the relationship and then the end scene, right there, it's also just uh, Sophie and B. 
And you're able to kind of oh, reflect yeah. back on the first scene really easily because they're both like sitting on the ground in the in the first scene as well. And so I was starting to think like, okay, you could read that first scene two ways where Sophie says, I love you. Like it's obvious that she might not have like the most healthy relationships from mm-hmm. her past with her friends, right? She tells her friends that they trigger her. Um, she also has gone through like addiction. Um, and I think she said she went to rehab, right? That's why she was contact. They, the friends were saying you contacted us because you wanted your trust right. back from your parents or something. Um, but so there's a, this idea that Sophie genuinely wants to find connection. Um, and so she's saying, I, I love you. Um, but there's also this idea of like Sophie saying, I love you coming from a place of when you say like, I love you to someone just because you want to like prove to yourself or remind yourself is more accurate that you have someone that you love. Yeah. And that's more so what it felt like. And so I thought that was interesting, especially like asking the question, why does B feel like she can't trust Sophie? Um, and, and so I, I was able to kind of piece that together or at least ask that question, which I think was probably purposeful because we start the movie with them sitting on the ground. Considering the overbearing relationship with her mom and the texting where I think we're supposed to assume that her mom and her have a similar relationship in terms of power dynamics and her mom probably using her relationship with B as her mother sort of as a way to kind of, and that love, that connection as a way to kind of keep her like next to her at all times. And I think that's what we're supposed to understand. But again, I think you'd have to read a lot into that and you'd probably have to watch Helena Rain's first film from 2019 instinct to understand that. Um, Also, if no one knows Helena Rain, she's a famous theater actress. She's a famous actress and she's from the Netherlands. This is only her second film. So shout out her because I did not say that in her interview, but it's incredible that she she's done this already. For sure. Okay. My second part of this movie that deserves extra credit is B's character development. So I'm kind of sticking with B here. I just think it's probably the most impressive part of the movie. The end of the movie, like what Kelsey was just talking about, kind of rides on the shoulders of whether or not you care about B, which is why I think it's a fantastic movie because I think you do care about B, or at least we did. I think hopefully audiences do. Based on these critic scores, I think a lot of people do care about her and care about the characters in the story, but especially her. And I think it could have even been better again with more of the mother, more of the dynamic of the mother. But regardless, it's one of the best movies of the year. So what we know about B's character development is that she, I guess, recently immigrated to the United States. She went to Utah State for a semester, but ultimately has to take care of her mother who has borderline, which I think we're supposed to assume is borderline personality disorder. And I think she's basically in a sort of life limbo where she's like forced to take care of her mother, but also has to like work and not go to college because of that. So she's like working at a video game store in a mall and she kind of is embarrassed to tell Sophie that. So there's like huge socioeconomic gap between B and the rest of this friend group and Sophie. And I think that is like a really important, it's a, it's a very important part of this movie because she's not leaving out a part of her personal identity because she's superficial. She's leaving out a part of her personal identity because she wants to relate to this privileged group. And that's a really unfortunate place she's in. And so again, I think she kind of is like the emotional appeal for the audiences. And without that, I think we, we probably don't believe the movie as much. Yeah. And I think it was, I think she actually maybe like got fired or lost her job at the video store. Okay. And she was embarrassed that to tell Sophie that she had lost the job because she says like, what were you doing when I dropped you off at the mall? And she said, I was just going to sit in the food court. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. The last thing I want to say about B and her character development is more about what she symbolizes. And I think again, Helena, when you stay for the interview, I think you'll probably pick up on this, that she really cared about what, you know, B symbolizes and what she represents throughout the movie. And it's kind of like the through line of what Helena is working with in the script, which is 
that there is sort of an inner killer or animal in all of us. And that's something that Rain really wanted to explore. And it's clear through B, I think, that she, I personally think that she successfully did that like super well. And I think what she wanted to capture is the way that the wealthy, privileged, narcissist, as David calls them, like friend group, stares at B almost like she is an animal in a zoo. And like when she's eating cake, they're like staring at her like she's in, like they're othering her. And I think the way Sophie even tells her to go put on like a shirt felt very much like she was ta- like Sophie was talking to a pet or a dog. And if nobody picked up on that in first watch, maybe you did. But if you didn't, I'd recommend seeing it a second time, you know, just for that scene. Cause I thought that was very powerful. And the group even forces B to go outside in the rain, which could just look like they're like, you know, maybe doing the clue thing where they think she's the killer, but also the way they do it and the way that they're kind of juxtaposing her behind the glass and they're inside looking out at her is almost like she is an animal. They're forcing to live outside and, they're forcing her to crawl through like the longest dog door in the world to get back inside. Yeah. Our dog doors like that, that uh, long of a tunnel. I don't think so. I think it was like, a, <laughs> I think it was like a practical effect that they wanted to get across. Like okay. that she was like being forced or into maybe this, in this animal giant status. House. Yeah. Yeah. And Bakalova does a great job playing that. And she's gotten some criticism for this movie, which is just so unfair. I was hmm. reading a couple articles that talked about that, about not doing a good job in this movie. I'm like, what? She, I think she kind of makes the movie work. Like every performance is great and I do have favorites, but she like is kind of the main focus of the movie. Like her, people were saying that maybe like her deadpan wasn't getting people enough into the movie, but that was kind of the whole point. She was like observing like this, like culture that she was not used to because it's this wealthy, privileged narcissist group. Yeah. She was like this kind of, uh, I guess, yeah, outsider, but also a, a character in the movie that the other characters are like pinging their insecurities off of, right? Like yes. even when they're looking at her through that window, that scene you're talking about where they shut her outside, yeah. it doesn't seem like there's any empathy. Like it's almost like disgust, right? Right, so I, exactly. It's almost like the the vehicle or maybe like what her character represents in relation to other characters. Exactly. And actually going back to the, the Greg scene, she kind of walks around the gym during that scene. They keep cutting back to her as like Greg is being interrogated by the group. And she's like in defense mode. You can see her like waiting for her moment. And I knew that she might do something. I thought she was going to maybe stab Greg, but I didn't think she was like actually going to get like the kettlebell and like, like hit him over the oh, head so a couple times. And so she like strikes him to protect Sophie. Again, kind of like going like back to that animalistic part of this movie that Rain is trying to touch on, which is so interesting because she's been forced into like this defensive position. Like survival mode. Yeah. And like she's, yeah. So she's like playing with defense mechanisms. She's playing with the survival mode thing. And also she's being spoken to and being told to do things that are putting her down and othering her. And so I think like, again, Helena Rain, such a smart artist for being able to do all this through one character. And again, I, I don't think without Bakalova's performance that this actually works super well. Um, okay. A few more things, just small things. I'm cheating here. Rachel Sennett is going to be a movie star. We're calling it here. We're not the only people to say (laughs) it, but like she is incredible. I think it's really clear that she is doing the most in this movie, but all of it works. And I think from Shiva babies to bodies, I'm assuming DC or Marvel is calling her phone. And I hope, I hope she says no, because I love Marvel. I love DC, but sometimes we just need like these dramatic, like thriller actors to just stay in that lane and keep playing these like dark comedy roles that just kill it every time. And so I hope she keeps doing movies like this. 
And the last thing that I wanted to say, and I really, re- really quick, if you're moving on from Rachel, I was, uh, go back and watch Shiva baby. If you haven't, I think it's on HBO still. So. It's one of our favorite movies from 2020. Um, Emma Seligman, great director, great film. The last thing I want to say about this, uh, bodies movie is that the lighting is probably the most creative practical invention. Like the, the half this movie is like pitch black and Helena talks about how she used Senate as a lighthouse with glow up lights and smartphones for her face, which is like incredibly, again, creative. It's so fun. You can tell when you're watching too. It's like, wait, I think I turned to you, Kelsey, during the movie. I'm like, why do they all have all their phones on and have the lights around their necks? But like, if you look at uh, Alice's character, Rachel Sennett's performance, like she has like the most lights on her neck and she has like the (laughs) most phones, like the lighting's all the way to the highest, uh, I guess, light it can be. And so I thought that was really smart. It's a good way to kind of get audiences to see what's happening on screen, but also peek around them, behind them. Because me and Kelsey kept looking behind each character to see if there was yeah, a killer. Yeah, looking at the windows. At too. one point, there looked like there was some kind of outline of somebody in like a window behind a character. I don't know if we both... There was. Well, there were times that in the in the window, you could see a reflection of someone moving throughout the house, which like I said this in the first podcast, but uh, usually in horror movies, I get like kind of infuriated by the trope of people separating. But yeah. in this movie, it made sense because there were so many times where people were airing grievances that there were social reasons that people were like, I'm leaving this space. Like I would rather go out and be at risk of the killer. I can't like yes. hang another minute with my friends here. And I just thought that was really like funny and interesting. But um, that also brings up since we were just talking about Rachel and the time where um i think it was uh b but she's crawling through the kitchen and this is when they're actually playing the game at the beginning and yeah. rachel's like ah <laughs> she yeah runs across <laughs> the kitchen it's so funny yeah but yeah i thought it was really fun and, and creative like you said the glow sticks and um everyone at our theater I, I got glow sticks too for the like special screening that it was it was really cool yeah a great experience okay that was a fun conversation we broke down the themes did our extra credits of the podcast if you haven't seen this movie and you're just listening to this podcast, you are a crazy person, but we appreciate you if you have. We hope you like what you hear. Please stay for our conversation with director Helena Rain. It was probably my favorite conversation from this year so far. We've talked to a lot of movie creators on this podcast and we're grateful for all of them. And Helena is a very special guest. Yeah, I'm so excited. And the last thing that uh, I want to say as a recommendation before you go listen to that conversation with Trey and Helena is watch all my friends hate me. If you liked bodies, 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 it's on Hulu. Uh, it is kind of a similar social anxiety thriller with friends, but even like in an older sense of coming back to college friends and it is so fun. Don't read anything on it. Okay. Don't do that to yourself. Uh, go in a quick 90 minutes, super fun, funny, dark comedy thriller. And we also talked to the it's a cringe fest writer. Yes. And lead actor, Tom Sturton. Um, so you can go back and listen to that pod, but anyway, I just wanted to say that because these were two amazing movies. I'm so excited for the conversation. All right, let's get to the talk with Helena Rain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a hot girl, pop girl, rich girl. I'm a bitch girl, fast girl. Catch me if you can. Uh, how's everything been this week? I'm sure everything's been pretty crazy. It's so crazy and um, it's so different. You know what I mean? I come from a very small country and uh, it's just a different um, vibe. I'm used to doing press, of course, but it's a very different thing. No, it's lovely, actually. What I enjoy most, to be honest with you, is that the journalists don't ask anything about, like, your private life. Or, like, very (laughs) subtly. 
but they don't like yeah. start with, okay so why don't you have children why is your husband so i'm really um I'm no we try to delighted. try to stay away from that <laughs> I, I won't be doing any of that today so no worries there you go <laughs> um so First off, thank you for speaking with me. Uh, I, I, again, I know you have like an incredibly busy schedule um, and with this movie doing so well, congratulations on all the success because it's really like taken off this week. Um, I, I knew with the trailers going around, especially people around my age, I'm 27, it's like definitely in the, I guess, cultural zeitgeist, like people are aware of your film, but it, since the critic reviews have come out this week, it's just taken off. So congratulations on everything. Thank you. I'm super grateful and of course relieved, you know, and, and very happy. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, start with your first film, actually, and talking about Instinct. Um, my wife and I just recently watched that movie and we were glued uh, and just completely immersed in that world, in a, di a very difficult world to be immersed into. Um, and I wanted to ask about you as a director and directors I speak with tend to have some sort of, I guess, interest in being, I guess, obsessed over something specific in their life that they like to pick on. And you have such a, a, a talent for observing power dynamics and obsession and uh, maybe addiction better than I've seen from a, a lot of directors recently. And you really capture that in bodies. And I really, which I'm going to, sorry if I call your film bodies oh, throughout this because oh great thank you uh, yeah but i uh I, it's a struggle to keep saying bodies 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 well, each time. i never say bodies, bodies, bodies. yeah <laughs> so uh maybe i'm reading too much into it but what attracts you to making films that focus on a spectrum a spectrum of power and power dynamics um because i i really felt that obviously it's in the script it's more explicit and instinct and in bodies i can i can obviously feel that a lot too so is there something that attracts you to just observing power dynamics like that yes <laughs> i love everything you're saying you're the first one to really uh, connect uh, them because most people uh, tend to say like ah you make how's it possible that after instinct you go make bodies but um to me that that's exactly my theme my my theme is uh, addiction really um yeah. uh, and um whether uh, that is a, a psychological thriller like instinct is in a very art house context or bodies which is a way more commercial film but yes it's, it's totally right and i feel very seen by you when you say that power dynamics and addiction i just really have a question about my own identity as far as that I don't understand how can I be so quote unquote evolved and had all this education and access mm -hmm. to all these things and books and I can read and I go on the internet and still I do things that are very destructive for myself you know and I think yeah. everybody plays to that on a small level or a bigger level and observing human nature observing all these mechanisms that is the joy of my life but also because i'm literally confused I, like I, I don't understand we're all gonna die why are we going through the motions what are we what is human nature and i was very um delighted to find that genre actually is a very good uh, place or space to examine these things um so because i i thought yeah a slasher film is just going to be predictable because it's a mm -hmm. certain format but in the end it gave me really not to make it too heavy but the same as I did in my work with Ivo van Hoven where we took yeah. plays like Hedda Gabler and then you know deconstruct them and within that uh, construct of construct we found 
a, a way to make it super contemporary. And that is what I found with genre too. So uh, I have, um, uh, yeah, I've really found some sort of key into my theme uh, over again, because after Instinct, we made a TV show called Red Light about sex workers right. um, in Amsterdam. And that is the same theme. You know, it's again, addiction. Uh, and because it is about like, why um, does the Amsterdam police and everybody in Holland try to liberate these women and, and, and you do that. And then some of them run back to, to, to their pimps uh, really quickly, you know? So I want to always discover, uh, examine power uh, dynamics and um, sexuality and addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm very great that you see that in this film as well. It is in there, yes. but it's a bit more subtle, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And I was gonna I'm actually getting to this right now because I think almost um it's it's odd to say it as a it's ultimately a cop a compliment, I think, from what I've heard in interviews and people have been speaking to you for people to call this movie almost a comment on Gen Z millennials. But I actually think this movie is it's a lot deeper than that, uh, bodies is than just Gen Z millennials. It kind of transcends time a little bit. But I will say in your, or at least generations, but I will say in your trailer for this movie, I feel as if I was subverted because I <laughs> I had the feeling I was gonna walk into a horror euphoria-like movie. And while euphoria yeah. is, gr is great, what I got in your movie was what I wish I could have in euphoria as like my own personal TV show, uh, because that would be great. That's like the, um, it was almost like a really smart vehicle to get people into the theater because I, I was sitting down expecting just a, uh, solely a comment on social media culture. And what I got more was a social thriller that was more akin to like a Agatha Christie novel or something to that nature. And I thought that was incredible because I still think people are walking out of the theater, getting those two different. Uh, I guess, experiences, which yes. is also, I guess, something you want as a, a filmmaker for people to have different experiences with your art and then talk about those different experiences and the way they interpreted things. Yeah. So I think, I think the movie does so well in like blurring that line between, um, I guess, being timeless and a contemporary movie. So was that the tone that you and your team were trying to create here? Or, or was it again, when I reading too much into it? Oh, no, no. I mean, I love everything you're reading into it. And that's exactly what, <laughs> what, what I was going for. But of course, not everybody sees that. Uh, uh, some people, like you say, experience it much more on a version of, you know, it's all about Gen Z and, and, right. and it's about the phone. And definitely that is a big part of it. But to me, that's more like the form that we use. But in the end, it's a, I hope that it's a film about, you know, group behavior and is the beast inside of us or outside of us. And basically instinct is about that as well. You know, exactly the same. Right. Is it, what does it take for the animal to come out? You know, how, how can you be like a, a therapist and, and, and yet fall for someone that's so destructive, you know, or how right. can you be going to a weekend away and, and it's supposed to be like a friend group and it's, it's supposed to be, you know, super nice and fun. And then, 24 hours later, almost everybody's dead. So right. yes, definitely a very dark undertone. And I think as to your point about the murder mystery, I think for me, once I decided that it was for myself, or really for myself in the process that it was gonna be a murder mystery more than anything else in the sense of like, of course it's also comedy, it's also horror, it's a, it's all, it has different elements. But once I liberated myself a little bit, you know, like I'm gonna make my own cocktail of a genre, but murder mystery will be mm -hmm. my, sort of my construct, that is when I really found my way in. That is when I really, because of course, I don't know how much we can spoil, but because of the ending, yeah. there's kind of like, which was to me incredibly important. That was crucial to me because the ending of course makes it 
look, if you have a ghost that does all of this or, or an evil character, that doesn't really interest me. You know, I really wanted to say something about ourselves and, and our behavior. And so that ending to me in that sort of nihilistic, hedonistic moment where the whole mm -hmm. the big bubble is completely, and it's like, blah, much you do about yeah. nothing. But, but once you, you decide that, then how do you ever, you know, go come there? How do you ever get there? Because all the murders then need to sort of add up, even though they are all sort of accidental reactions. It's all then human behavior instead of, you know, uh, a bad guy or a bad girl. And so right. that was very hard to, to pull off because it's a puzzle and it's a mathematical puzzle. And that was the murder mystery then became my friend. You know what I mean? In, right that together with Sarah and my whole team and really everyone because that that had been that was pretty hard just on a very rational construct level right and I think that is what people are toying with when watching this movie is they see that you're playing with the constructs but again I think that the bigger question which I, I'm glad you said that because I've heard you say that before about the animals is that the big question that drew you to this script was the idea of are we civilized and where and and where is that line blurred a little bit and how can I push that a little bit because you talk about sometimes about the animal in all of us which I really appreciate because it sounds like you're coming at fr from like a sociolo sociologist or psychologist perspective which I really yeah. appreciate for someone watching movies and taking so much time to watch films because you're asking so many so many insightful questions in your movie uh, in both your movies and is that the main question I think that drew you to this script? Because I've heard you talked about um, how you really want to, I think you're drawn to asking a question when you want to make a movie. And I, and I, and I kept hearing you talk about the animal inside, inside of everyone. Is that the, is that the main one? I think the animal, like, I think the beast inside of me is the big theme that I shared with Evo in mm -hmm. my career as a stage actress and that I always used what, going on stage is fucked up, you know, it's the scariest, yeah. <laughs> it's horrifying. If you are like a gladiator, you're going to be eaten by the audience. It's life. It's every fucking day. It's, it's, oh. it's torture. Yeah. And so to be able to do that, you need to have a very, yeah, or a very important question or a very important theme. And to me, that was my theme that suffering for me comes from that aspect in myself that I'm so confused about why can I... You know, if I know everything, which we all, like everybody in the West, we're sort of blessed with information, then why do I still do things that are destructive? Or why am I still in things that make me, you know, have pain? So, so that that was always my sort of key into all those roles. And then, and then so when they sent me this idea for this film that had basically had the game and, and the young people in the house, I was very interested in how I, what I would want to do with that. And that was implement that theme. So when I... Uh, uh, talk to ASB4 to, to 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 when we were still like sort of like finding out if we wanted to do this right. together. I said to them, it to me, it's Mean Girls meets Lord of the Flies. You know, that oh, was wow. sort of like and the Lord of the Flies aspect being that what we're talking about and mm -hmm. the pressure and the group behavior. So I thought we need to implement that in this very fun idea about the game, but that doesn't do it for me. For me, it needs to have that dark undercurrent and right. that. Even though there's like Sarah the Lab always says beautifully, like it's micro stakes, right? Because bodies are piling up, but they are talking about what 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 is in your phone or what is the tech and who did you send that message? Like right. very small banal things. But to me as a filmmaker, of course, you need high stakes, right? You're gonna give up your life, you're gonna go on a plane to fucking Hollywood, you don't don't know what's gonna happen. So it better be something about the essence of life, even though it is a very commercial. <laughs> 
film, I, I needed to, to, to have that kind of like core theme. And for Sarah, the lab, who is of course a very um, accomplished playwright, uh, the same. So I think that was our way in for ourselves, the, the, the theme of the killer being inside of us. And, and H24 as well, of course. They were like, you know, that's what the film they wanted to make. Supportive. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Because I, I, you know, they're usually making incredible horror movies, but but again, this one it does feel like it is multi-genre. So I was a little bit surprised because yeah. it seems like they're they're going your route. So I hope hopefully you all keep making movies because I would love to keep seeing you know films like this. Um, so I think in talking about uh, the Gen Z culture for a second, when hearing or millennials, whatever we want to name the generation where they're at right now in, in that movie, because I guess a lot of the actors are millennial yeah. too. So whatever. Yeah, totally. But the the language being used in the movie, I found fascinating because it was almost as if you had uh, manifested the the extreme language that uh, a social media culture generation uses, or just culture in general and manifested it into a real movie, like the silencing me, you're gonna destroy me, you're killing me, all that all that extreme language that is used on the internet or in texting and social media. Uh, did How much of that was you and your team putting together the script? How much of that were the actor's input in terms of like what everyone was trying to do? Because you can see how, and I'll get to this in a second too with the rest of your team off camera, but you can see how collaborative you are in your movie, like which again is like a rare thing. It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've seen Alex Garland's Men recently, but that's it. Yes, that's a, yes, yes, absolutely. Amazing film. Yes. And he, and he, uh, he also has that certain feeling where you can tell how collaborative he is. Yes. You can feel everyone off the camera who's working on those movies. Your movies feel like that too. So did, how was that, that conversation with your, with your team and, and the actors and everyone on board of trying to like use all that language and manifest it on screen? Yeah. So Sarah Delep was very, um, uh, uh, sure that she, you know, we were we were going into this theme of psychological warfare, group behavior, and make it very contemporary and use words as weapons. But in this time, like, how do they do it now? Mm -hmm. And uh, like, I think Sarah is Sarah is not at all on social media a lot. You know, she's she's hyper intellectual, so but she reads yeah. books like six hundred books a day. But she, but we of course we dived into this world, right? I am way more addicted to social media than she is. But for both of us, it was super important that that, that vocabulary that is really so uh, that defines defines the generation, whatever it's we call the generation. Sure. But yeah. the, you know that they have access to all those words and. For both of us, the opening scene of Social Network, even though, you know, right, that, that's from another time, but way back then it was like, oh my God, you know, they're speaking on so many different right. levels. They, they they use words of the time. It's like you can feel the internet seeping into that conversation. And so we wanted that vibe, but then for the now. Um, and of course, the humor of those words too, because what I find with these words is that they have access to these words. They know those words, but did they really live those words? It's not always the case, maybe. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. On the other hand, I do find it amazing to have those words because uh, when I would have a panic attack before I go on stage, I would—I didn't even know that it was called a panic attack. I, I didn't know what was happening in my body. Right. And now they just say, you know, I have so much anxiety. I was triggered this morning right. because I saw a white car and that triggered my thing. So we thought it would be, on one hand, we admire it and, and we, we also use it in our own life. And on, on the other hand, we wanted to, of course, make a little bit of fun of it. So a lot of it was on the page. And then I asked my actors, and, and to your point, I'm a total collaborator. It scares also me to be a dictator. I don't want that. I want to be, I, I was born in communes. I need to work together. So 
I make them my collaborators, but I also make them very responsible for the project. Right. Uh, and they, so they came with all their ideas, you know, and, and uh, Amanda came up with that ableist moment, uh, for instance, yeah. you know, which is great. Um, Rachel improv- improvised the, uh, you're silencing me. Came That's great. So, you know, yeah. there's a constant flow or there were things that they would say to me at dinner or lunch, uh, private moments that I would take notes and I would ask them if it was okay to use those things. Just because what I didn't want to do, because what I've seen so much is people who are older making films about youth culture and it's like, ah, you know, and it's right. horrifying. You want to make it completely authentic. And my inspiration was Kids, Don's Plum, which is a film nobody has seen here because it's forbidden, I think. It's with Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Toby Maguire. And it's just them sitting in a cafe. And it's just a group of young people. And it's beautifully authentic. Cassavetes, you know, with his flow, you know, the way they mm-hmm. speak. Robert Altman. I mean, it, not to be pretentious at all, but those were my were my inspirations Influences. for the flow. Yeah, and how the and how I wanted to overlap and and so I, you know, for sound this is of course a nightmare. For my DP, this is the only way he knows how to work. So I need to, you know, make everybody the whole team part of this mission. And they and the sound department they loved it, but it's a huge challenge because you know you, you're going to be. It's like a jazz. It's it's a yes. jam session. And it's yeah. not just like saying like, oh, everybody just do what they want. Not at all. You need to be super prepared. Everybody needs to know each other's lines even, you know what I right. mean? And then you can create those spaces for, for, for actors to, to give you like these little presents that you can never think of on the page. But I, th- that's something really important that I always say also when I teach acting, preparation is everything. You, you might think also when I'm on stage, it might look so easy, and so, but it's only because I prepared like a lunatic. You know, and then yeah. you can be in the moment. Then you can, you know, you know, really, truly react and be truthful. So that is how we uh, try to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The best acting happens off camera, I guess, and all the prep. So yeah, that's yes, that's good. Yeah. Um, speaking with the about the off camera crew, I especially loved the editing and sound mixing. It was very jarring, like right away. Like I think there were like cuts at the beginning. I've, I've seen it twice now. Of of beautiful shots and then blasting music and then cuts cuts into a car and then you know some talking with low music and just that kind of back and forth between music and conversation and and certain noises being louder than you think they would like a door shutting or uh someone saying something to someone else and just one word or two words and then there would be quick shots to visual cues and after just recently seeing jordan peele's nope which i don't know if you've had a chance to because you've been so busy Yeah, whenever you get a chance, you're going to be incredibly busy for a while. Wait. Yeah, it's well, the movie's full of, you know, Jordan Peele-esque visual cues and your movie, I think, has a bunch of them, too. And so I was noticing the way the editor was playing with that and you were playing with that. And so um, can you talk a little bit about your unsung heroes, maybe off camera a little bit and like maybe who you think deserves more recognition, who helped capture that tone? Because, again, I you can feel the collaborative nature of your movie and you can feel that you set a, you set a goal for a tone or a question you wanted to ask. And you could feel that everybody else who was working on this from sound mixers to editors, your DP, everybody was on board. Do you feel like there is somebody or probably many people that deserve more credit that helped you capture that tone that were off the camera? Oh yes. Oh my God. Um, First of all, the people who are super, super, super important to me, is um, my producer, David Hinojosa. Uh, and um, uh, A24 has uh, a guy, he's called Noah Sacco. Um, and they are truly my partners in crime, like way more <laughs> than 
a studio head, whatever the fuck. This, these are people that I literally brainstorm with, you know, like it's so, it's such a, sorry, they're renovating the apartment above me. It's such an intimate uh, relationship that, um, so important. Like I never wanna, like I'm, you know, I really found a home and, and, and truly, uh, it was a lot like I, I'm used to in Amsterdam where we have, you know, where I was part of a theater company that was completely subsidized by government money. Why I say this is that I never felt the pressure of the industry. You know what I mean? They really right. just wanted to, me to be my own weird self. And, you know, also with me mixing all those genres. Like, right. know, <laughs> risky. So, but they w- went with it. But then as far as... Um, the crew and, and everybody who literally worked on the film in that way. Of course, my DP Jasper, he's from the Netherlands. We did Instinct together. We did he he yes. worked a lot as an actress. That is, you know, it, it goes way further than just him operating the camera because he will always operate the camera himself. He is really right. truly almost like an actor, you know, with them. But also preparation with him and just the whole lighting plan, the film taking place 70% in the dark. You know, how are we gonna that is that goes, he was there once Sarah and I started you know, developing our first uh, treatment because we basically started over again. Uh, he was there, you know, because right. I'm already discussing at that point and that is how I love to work. I'm already discussing with him all the visual. I'm already, so that, for instance, when I came up with the idea for the hurricane party so that we could have some sort of emergency lights, that's how far it goes, you know, so that will influence the whole script, right? That they don't only go to a house and then, oh, there's a storm. No, they know that storm is coming. So, oh, wow. that will so that's how I like to work. And then, uh, in this case, I did not have uh, my sound designer yet at that point, but with mm-hmm. instincts I did so that my sound designer can already implement his ideas in the script, you know, so I can already, so with this, I had to be a little more myself aware of sound, but of course sound is a huge character because yes. the storm will, will be believable through the sound, you know, otherwise, so all of that, so they should, the mixers and the mute, but also the music supervisor. If you want to make a film about youth culture, you know, you need a great music right. supervisor because you need a lot of input from the, from the young actors, but also somebody to coordinate that. And then together with me, make all those decisions. And to even, if I say, I want board in the house, you know, that's like crucial for me, you need to have it now. Then she right. has to go call the, like, ah. Um, and yeah. then my editors, I had two, Taylor, Levi, who's very young, extreme, really off the generation, which was very important to us. So, uh, and then after that, Julia Bloch came in and we worked with the three of us. And Julia Bloch is just fucking genius. She, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce her last name in your language. I say Bloch, but it's... That works. It's yeah. <laughs> she is amazing. She has some experience in the horror world, you know, and she, but she's a true artist. Like she comes from... Lars von Trier and that's where she you know so uh, to her credit too you know like the puzzle of this film of course as you can imagine in the edit was insane it feels like a puzzle yeah in the movie and it was fucking and to stay objective you know to keep thinking no 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 no. what is an objective audience are they going to believe this are are we now going too far who's suspect who's the suspect when and da 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 and then also to implement my way of working with the sound team later in post because my way of working is on one end i'm like it needs to be realistic but on Mm -hmm. the other hand i'm also very abstract so every room if i say okay now we're in the basketball court and we don't hear anything and then they're like huh what you know it's of course a very european thing to to just use (laughs) abstraction and be a little less with like it's not hyper realism to me is a sort of honesty within absurd circumstances so Mm -hmm. 
me, it's also a headspace. So when I'm in that basketball court and we're going to kill, you know, the first real kill right. that we see, I, the, the mental space of that to me is, there's no, like, it's so, it's like as if we're in a vacuum, you know, mm -hmm. we're now, um, and they were open to that crazy way of working. And then the tension between keeping it real and keeping it consistent, but yet add to all of that, that in the end, it is a mental roller coaster. In the end, it's almost like you're going into a psychosis and you come out of it, you know, like it's, so they were up, they were all game for that. So um, I'm yeah. so grateful because it was, uh, the post was very intense for this film, way more than for Instinct, because that's of course a Kammerspiele right. where, you know, you just have actors in the space. Right. Actors in rooms and outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really love what you said about finding the, I guess, honesty and the absurd because you do that so well. Your your cast also does that really well. They do that beautifully. They're incredible. And I know you um, in, in seeing their interviews as well and kind of going through, I guess, all of them because all of them have, I think it's incredible you were able to give all of them such great characterization and in in a tight you know, whatever this 90 to 100 minute movie is. And yeah. uh, they've all, most of them have said off you know, with you not in the room that you're maybe the best actor director they've worked with because you have such a long a career in acting and an incredible career in acting. And um, I, I, what advice, if any, did you give to, uh, specifically, I want to say uh, Maria Bakalova's character, B, or, or her as an actress and in her, in her character performance as B, because I think every actor does what, like, incredible in this movie. Um, but, I, but specifically, Bakalova's performance as, as B, I think there's something... There's something raw there in her performance. I've heard you talk about it as as being like naturalistic, and there was like a, a almost like a reactionary performance she had that was, um, I guess, like your other movie, like instinctual. Uh, it, did you give her any advice, or was that just something she naturally had, or did you all talk about what you wanted from that character and be? I think it's a, the hardest, one of the hardest characters in the movie. And this yeah. is something I also learned from Ifo that a character like that, who's not part of the group, who's not one of the funny ones, who he always explained before we started to play, like, listen, in this play, you'll, you're, you're going to have a hard time, you know, because you're not, because psychologically, you're going to feel that, you know, even right. if fake, even you're going to be the outsider a little bit, you know what I mean? And the witness, and, not, and you can't be the one who's like the clown and the, you know, because right. you're watching. And, you're, and we see the film through your eyes. And then there's another thing that's hard about that part is that first we're gonna, she's like Alice in Wonderland and we arrive with her at the whole thing. But then we sort of also start to suspect her, you know? So it's, it's right. she becomes also this beast. It's not just the innocent blonde girl. She also has this very, this very animalistic quality. And then the whole social drama of it all, that's of course also a layer in this, although very subtle, but it is there, mm -hmm. doesn't fit in. You know, they are all, they seem to be at least all rich and beautiful. And and she just, not that she's not beautiful, but she doesn't right. come from that background. So I talked a lot with her about, um, I just wanted her to feel very safe within that. And and also, and that is a quality she totally brings herself. Uh, she's beyond vanity, beyond ego. You know, you have to, in her case, this role is, it has sort of a, a very rooted down to earth energy. You know, yes. it's not. Uh, so feminine at the first, you know and she was so that is something she brings herself she has really she can you know if she comes on the red carpet uh in in a in a beautiful louis Vuitton dress you're like uh, it's literally like most ma magical beauty ever right. when she comes to set she brings her beast and that is <laughs> yeah. something you know as that i love like that is yes. so as far as acting i told oh, i asked him to watch who's afraid of virginia wolf I, you know I, I i really want them to 
to, to, to taste the, the, the animalistic quality that I'm looking for. And also, if you're an actor, you're always like, oh, how, I hope I'm good enough. I hope, you know, it's all about your body, your emotions, your, so there's a lot of pressure on you. And I just want to take that pressure off by saying, listen, it's not about you. It's about acting is reacting. So you can let right. go of your ego. You can let go of any pressure on how you look, how you talk, how you, whatever. We're going to just be here together. And I think for all of them, I tried at least for myself as an actor, that feels like a liberation. Right. You know? Yeah. No, you can feel that in the screen. Is, is there, sticking with that animalistic part, is there, um, I kept drawing a parallel and sometimes it, was, sometimes it was explicit, but you did such a good job of going back and forth and never letting us sit on something that was maybe an abstract or conceptual high concept idea long enough, which was like incredibly smart again for like fodder for afterwards to talk with people about what they picked up in the movie um, and, and their interpretation of it. But was there a reason of the parallel between B and animals and like the way Sophie was talking to B at a certain point of like, go change your shirt or the way that... I guess other characters are talking to her as somebody who is not, I guess, you know, obviously from the United States and like they were speaking to her as if she was like in a zoo and they're behind a glass wall or something. W was that purposeful? Was that intentional? Or am I reading too much into it? No, I, you're the only one who reads everything that I'm trying to put in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, and I put, I, there were even way more animal um, things in the film that we had to cut out because I couldn't use them all. Yeah, no, that is totally like uh, my sound man at a certain point was like, is this all about it? Are you like trying to say something about animals and are they all it? And he had like, he tried to figure out. Yeah, no, totally. Like uh, for me, I don't know. I have a very big obsession because then I go to watch nature because I'm so obsessed with are we beasts mm -hmm. or not. I watch all these nature documentaries, you know? So I love implementing those kind of behaviors. It's also an insect, it's all about smelling and like she's in the car and she sniffs the underwear. And, you right. know, it's, to me, I love, she got the way she, when she wants to come back into the house, she has to crawl literally through the dog door. She dog has to become yeah. a dog, she humiliate herself all the way she to become this dog because it's all, in the end, she's triggered by jealousy. You know, she's like, what the fuck? Like, right. Right. Those kind of emotions, like, you know, Othello, that whole play by Shakespeare is based mm -hmm. on the Greek monster. Like we become animals. And then also we suddenly have this strength that we didn't know we had. And yeah, her character continuously like go change your shirt. That's all like the power dynamics in um, yes. a flock of animals. I don't know how you call that. I also tell them all the time when we were doing these huge scenes, I said, you're a school of fish. You know, I like <laughs> the school of fish goes that way. And then one fish goes, wee, wee, right. wee. And that is often how I like to work because it also takes away the whole thing. Like, what is my backstory? Where do, like, I'm like, oh, whatever. We're in, <laughs> we're in the moment. We're here together. It's like a choreography. You know, it's like we're yeah. bodies in a space. And of course, uh, psychology is a big part of acting. And of course, people, but what I love for the audience to do, and not everybody wants that. And I totally understand that. But also with instinct, I like to for them to use their own imagination and their own pain to fill in the blanks within the characters. I don't mm -hmm. like the characters to be too like outspoken. I love for the characters because in real life, you know, I don't know if you know, but if I'm with my mom, I'm a totally different person than if I'm with my best friend or if I'm with somebody right. that I want to with her so i feel that no person is you know in america sometimes they try to make like the innocent person this person to that person i'm like oh, i can i want to yes. be um, the binary of it yeah yeah, yeah. such a granny i'm sorry you're fine uh, making a film about gen z and then like totally <laughs> over the whole technology uh. um oh so, so no but but i love i mean it's so 
wonderful to, to hear that you even pick up on all of these things. But yes, that it was for me, her crawling, her jumping. And when you, we got to the dance scene after she eats the wheat cake and we have that shoulder, she just like, it's right. all too it's yeah she is to me the most animal like yeah she, she she seems the most like she's sorry you're fine sorry here i am yeah you're fine uh she seems the most like um like in yeah survival mode defense mechanism uh and and, and you do that so well and at one point i like turned to my wife and the second time i saw it and i was like it, like, is there an actual dog in this movie? Did I miss the dog? Because when she was crawling through that dog space, you just don't see a dog. And then you can see that parallel then and that becomes clear. And I'm like thinking about the movie completely differently. I'm going back in my head. I'm like, did I see a dog at any point in this movie? Is the dog gone? Uh, yeah. So I was laughing about that. I don't know if their dog got on left on the cutting room floor or anything like that, but I thought that was interesting. No, there was no dog, okay. but I do want the suggestion of the dog. Um, because also in the big bone, we have a big bone that, you know, you really have to be pay attention to even see that. But it is, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I love dogs and I, I yeah. just thought it would be great that, you know, maybe there's a dog or maybe the dog is doing it or, you know, but he, he you know, there never really was a dog, but there were way more like um, little clues about animals throughout the film. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I also went overboard with it. And also you have to be careful with an animal thing because pets are very, like you know people love love them yes uh, so you don't want to mess with that but i do yeah no i like i literally like my dream is to make a film only like to really go in there in that subject like literally yes yeah I, I have two shih tzus so if you ever want to make an animal movie go for the shih tzus they're they're good actors <laughs> um, <laughs> uh so finally, my last question because i know yeah. i'm taking up too much of your time i apologize no, i know how busy time. you are today um okay. So both with B and uh, and is it Nicol Nicoline Nicoline from Instinct? Nicoline, yeah, Nicoline whatever. Yeah, from Instinct. Um, yeah. they have interesting mother dynamics, and yeah. and they and obviously like more from your first film, it's more like transparent about what maybe not transparent, but it's more I guess explicit that there is a some kind of uh, challenging connection between the protagonist and their mother or the lead character and their mother. And then with B, it, it, there, it is there as well, especially toward the end when, you know, you find that, you know, challenging connection out and what's going on there. Um, was there a reason for that you wanted to stick with the mother connection, the parental connection of having this challenging connection kind of be at the, the back of the, the lead character's mind throughout the whole film and what they're going through? Because I found that to be almost like a third interpretation of the movie or like not interpretation really, but just like a reading of it that you're like seeing it through this whole situation through B's eyes and like all of the stress she's going on through the back of her mind because she just wants yeah. to contact her mom and like talk to her and and, and be a source of connection with her because she's going through a challenging time and the Wi-Fi's cut out. And so she can't do that. And so and, and I just noticed again and in, in seeing your first film that that is also a very powerful part of the movie is that challenging connection to to uh her mom so is there a reason for that with the mother um well again i mean you're the only person who sees this uh, yeah uh, i do think it was way it was even much stronger in the film um to begin with and we mm -hmm. make it a little bit pulled a little bit back on it mm -hmm. um i think it is a huge theme for me um and i i i also think or just sort of accepted that even though i'm going to make very different films i guess i'm also telling the same story over and over again uh, you know, which I kind of like. The best directors do. Yeah, because the new film I'm working on uh, has this too. And it's just a theme for myself. And I think for me, um, 
you know, coming from communes and all of that is somehow drives me and the mother figure uh, as a complex figure and also me not having children myself. Mm. Uh, I think all of that is very important to me. And I think it's often we we feel that father figures for women are super important. And for me, that that's the same. But I feel uh, uh, the question, of course, now that we can make films as women from the female gaze, yes. make film like this with all these women in it, you know, I do feel that the mother-daughter relationship is so important. So even when it's not at the front stage, for me, it's always going to be there because if I want to say something about women, which of course any film I make is going to be because I'm always going to make it through my eyes. And um, and so I feel that that is a big, big motivator for me. Like yes. even in the background, like what is her relationship with her mom and how does that? And yes, you're so, I mean, it's, it's lovely to to hear you speak because that is exactly what I wanted it to be like there's something going on with her mom and she obviously stays in touch with her like in an unhealthy level right I right. mean she, yeah. she's texting her in the car she's like calling her in the, uh, and she's not like 16 you know and right. then the wife is cut out and she's sort of forced to um, let go of that and and become her own uh, person but uh, you know again this I don't want to be pretentious so of course this is all very subtle not at all. to me that is what she's doing um it's a coming of age story for B really you know like yes. it's going through a ritual of uh, a very horrifying ritual of growing up you know and dealing with that's the dog door you know she literally it's a it's a quest into you know adulthood somehow you know so that yes 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 to everything you're saying I wish you know everybody would see that but yeah no I, I think <laughs> the movie almost deserves a, a, a deep book dive <laughs> like somebody needs to write something <laughs> about like B because I do think all all of that high concept abstract ideas are kind of layered throughout the movie and I can't wait to keep watching again I'm definitely going to own this when it comes out when I'm able to because it's one of those movies that I'll I'll probably watch every year so thank you for that um the, the last question the final question and this is just something I ask every creator that uh, that I try to like have on or talk with or write something about and trying to spread awareness of their movie that I love. Um, recently, actually, I had on Tom Sturton uh, from All My Friends Hate Me, which is a new movie uh, from the UK this year, which you probably haven't seen because you've been so busy. But it is a movie about uh, like a millennial paranoia about being trapped in a house with friends you haven't seen in eight or nine years. And it's a very similar, um, I guess, argument or observation uh, is probably the best word. And I definitely recommend to go see that when you, whenever you can again. Yeah. But um, so he, he was saying uh, that I, so basically I asked, I always ask this question, which is what movie or show do you think deserves or any kind of piece of content that you've seen recently or art that you've seen um, deserves more recognition, more extra credit is the phrase I like to use. Uh, and then Tom said that he uh, picked the film. It was like a psycho thriller, 1971 film called Wake and Fright that I actually have not seen yet that I need to. Um, and I think we, we had Philip Barantini who, who did Boiling Point in the UK on about a week ago. And he said uh, Uncut Gems is like one of his favorite movies ever. Even though it's kind of recent and was very famous, he wanted to give that more extra credit. So do you have a film in mind that you think deserves extra credit? Oh yeah, I think um, especially here because it's a European film, and to anybody who um, wants to act, this is mm -hmm. this film to me is a lesson in acting. And to anybody who wants to make films themselves, it's the Piano Teacher from Haneke. Okay. With Isabelle Huppert, it is the best film ever. I don't know what year. It is not that long ago, but it is uh, probably twenty years ago. God, I'm old. But it is it is a, a, a Fifty Shades of Grey, but then uh layered and and very smart and subtle and but it's a 
thrilling watch. Like you're on the edge of your seat every minute of it. And it's my, it's, it's the best film I feel ever made. Mm -hmm. And then another film that I love is A Woman Under the Influence by Cassavetes. Um, but that's maybe a little more known. But the piano teacher here is some, I don't think a lot of people saw it. So it's a great, a great watch. And of course, Don's Plum. But okay. how do you, how do you get it? You can't see it here. It's difficult so to see a lot anybody of. Anybody can get it. It is a great watch. <laughs> okay, we'll do. I'll have to watch those. I'm excited to watch Piano Teacher. I I think that oh, you will love it. You will go insane. Ba ba based on my experience with Instinct, I think I will. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yes. I'll love that a lot. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for talking with me again. I know. Oh God, I know. It's you... the best interview I've ever done in my life. Seriously, yeah. you you really made my day. You you really did. Thank you so much for seeing it all and feeling like I feel seen. Thank you. For that of course i'm gonna to try to spread awareness to see your film thank you alina i appreciate appreciate you talking with yeah. me i thank hope you, you have a talk again for my next film i can't yeah wait. no i would love to I, i'm i'm here for whatever whatever you make next i'm a big fan uh have a, a very fun next few weeks and enjoy all the success yeah. that's coming to you and you too have a lovely day and thank you for this it was really really truly amazing yeah